Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. Oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and once again, may I thank you for joining us on what is going to be a fantastic podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, and for those of you who don't know me, I'm the author of a series of books that bears the same name as our podcast, all of which are available at Amazon in ebook and paperback. Paperback! Ah! (laughs) (laughs) And also... Six of the volumes are on Audible for you audiophiles out there, also available at iTunes and Amazon. So please take advantage of that and help support what it is we're doing. And now let me introduce you to my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Hey, Bill. How's it going? Marvelous, marvelous. You know, I had something really strange happen the other day, Kevin. I'm going to share it with you and the listeners. Did you see the hairy man in your backyard? No, no. I did Uh. see a hairy woman, though. (laughs) (laughs) Were you at the Coney Island Freak Show again? (laughs) No, this is really weird. And uh, once again, it proves my point of uh, starting the conversation and uh, having odd things happen. So just listen to what happened here. So I'm at work uh, the other day, and there's a lot of security around our facility, as you would imagine in any large hospital. Uh, these guys are always moving around, and there's new faces appearing on a somewhat regular basis. And so there's this one guy, I'd say he's about 50 years old, Probably about uh, a year old in the hospital, as far as security goes. And uh, I had a little time on my hands, and the hallway in the station where he was was kind of empty. So I stopped to uh, talk to him a little bit, and uh, the conversation rolled around. And I've told you before, Kev, that I start conversations with people hoping something may come of it. Sure. So this was no exception, and the conversation rolled around, and I says, yeah, uh, I wrote a bunch of books on Bigfoot, and uh, my brother and I do a podcast called Bigfoot Terror in the Woods. He looks at me, and he says, you believe in Bigfoot? I says, yeah. He says, take a look at this. He pulls out his iPhone, puts it in my face, and in front of me, is a hand, a man's hand, down on the ground next to a fantastic Bigfoot footprint. Awesome. So the hand was to demonstrate the size relative to this guy's hand. And so I said, who's this? 
He says, that's my brother. He was in the Allegheny Mountains in western Pennsylvania deer hunting, and he found this track. Mm-hmm. So I said, wow. He says, yeah, I believe this thing is real. And uh, he says, my father and I hunt all the time. My brother obviously hunts. So now here's the other oddity about this. I said to him, can you send that over to my email? I'd like to put it on my uh, webpage. Yeah, yeah, I'll send it over to you. He writes down my, uh, the webpage, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. So a couple of days goes by, nothing, Kev. I didn't mm. receive anything. And uh, I caught up with him again. And I said, hey, what about the Bigfoot uh, picture? <laughs> Hopefully you didn't yell it down the hallway. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and uh, he says, oh, my brother doesn't want it posted on the Internet. Oh. And I'm like, what? I says, I'm not using his name. His face isn't even in the picture. Yeah, yeah I know. It's just the way he wants it. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. So isn't it weird? This again the stigma. The guy has an excellent picture that he sends to his brother, and I happen to see it because I mentioned Bigfoot, and he's not willing to let the picture go for other people to see it. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's there is a you know, there's sometimes a stigma. I mean, I have a less exciting story, but kind of fun to share that I haven't shared with you. We're down at the boat last weekend. And, um, you know, the boat is a ramp-launched, you know, uh, speedboat here in North Carolina. And so we're in the parking lot putting the stuff in the boat, or we were taking the stuff out of the boat at the end of the day. And this woman pulls up by another boat there that they're unloading, and she has a big uh, silhouette of the hairy man on the side window of her sport utility vehicle. And I was like, uh, you know, I went walking down to put something in my truck, and I said, hey, so you're a fan of the hairy man? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> and uh, she said, are you? I said, yeah. I said, I actually do a podcast on Bigfoot. She's like, what podcast? I said, Bigfoot Terrorism. And she's like, are you Kevin? <laughs> I said, I am. And she's like, oh, my God. <laughs> kind of fun. Kind of fun. That is fun. Did she listen? She, she listens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She said, oh, I love the podcast. You and your brother. Is your brother here? I said, no, he's not here. <laughs> Look at that, Kev. You're a celebrity. Oh, no, and the kids were with me, you know, and folks, my kids have grown up, and they're like, who's that lady? I said, she's one of our fans from the podcast, <laughs> and they're laughing. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's too funny. Yeah. Yeah, you know, this picture was fantastic. Well, keep working on him. Keep working on him. We got to well, see Well, you know, he knows where I am, and, you know, you never Neither know. When uh, he doesn't have his hand on his gun, grab his phone and take a picture of his picture. Yeah, and you can see <laughs> this guy, it was like wet moss. Uh, uh, the bra- Not moss. What would you call, like, uh, what's that word for the, uh, the brown like the uh, lichen, fibrous stuff? or something like that? Yeah, there's another word like sphagnum or something like oh. that. It looked like the brown uh, peat moss mm. that you pour out of the bag, you know? Oh, okay. But you could see the print in it was excellent, uh. and there was a little bit of water, like moisture, and he had cleared the leaves around it mm. to really open it up, and it was freaking spectacular. Mm. 
And here he is an, again, Kev, a hotbed. Western Pennsylvania. No yeah, the a lot of Appalachian, The Appalachian Trail, the Allegheny Mountains. So uh, uh, just remarkable, really remarkable. Anyways, enough of that. What do you got for us today? Yeah, Kev? we're going to talk about my favorite hairy man. Who's that, Bill? It's got to be... Yowie! Yowie is right. <laughs> We're going down to Australia, or Oz, as they would say. Uh-huh. And, of course, you know, uh, those of you that haven't heard me talk about Yowie in the past, that's what the Bigfoot goes by down in Oz. And um, this is kind of interesting, Bill. You know, we, we typically talk about sightings and accounts in hotbed areas like you're talking about. But I saw something interesting in the news this week that was related to a dramatic change downward in the number of sightings. And in this case, it was related to Yahweh down in Australia. So you may say, like, why is this interesting? And it's kind of like it's a bit uh, a bit of evidence of uh, Yowie being real when actually because of a natural disaster of sorts, all of a sudden you see less of them, right? Okay. And certainly last year we know that Australia, and especially uh, New South Wales and Victoria, Australia, those two states in Australia, were hit by horrible wildfires, right? Right, About 27.2 million acres of bush, forest, and parks have burned in those fires. And, you you know, you heard about koalas, the species of koalas and kangaroos, like almost wiped out in certain areas across Australia. And, you know, if you... If you don't know Oz, as they call it, um, New South Wales and Victoria are kind of like at, you know, cover the area between three o'clock and six o'clock on the face of a clock, roughly, of the continent of Australia. So think uh, the beautiful city of Sydney, Australia, uh, at about three o'clock and then heading down to the beautiful city of Melbourne, Australia. Okay. Uh, at about six o'clock, roughly, you know. That's like southeastern southeastern Australia. Australia. Yeah, mm-hmm. easy way to easy way to think about it. Wow. So this guy, Dean Harrison, who's a, a well-known Yowie researcher in Australia, he studied Yowies for about twenty years, and he's saying that in this article, which was uh, published in the Daily Mail of Australia by Sahar Murad. Uh, is the author. He's saying that um, the recent lack of sightings of the beast is because the bushfires have driven the hairy man deeper into the continent. So kind of away from those areas on the coast. And Australia, you know, in terms of population, almost all of the population lives around the outer rim of Australia even though the continent itself is probably bigger than the United States, is bigger than the United States, almost all of the people live around the edge of it. Right, right. And how many millions of acres burned? Ah, what do we say here? 27.2 million acres. Yeah, that's a lot of property, boy. Oh, yeah, it was devastating there. Devastating. And guess what? If the food source declines or runs away, why would the Yowie hang around? 
Well, and he's just, they're worried, you know. So he says uh, he doesn't think like they were killed in the bushfires because based on his 20-year research of Yowie's, they have a very keen sense of smell. Mm-hmm. And so they would know it's coming. And uh, he talks about how fast they can run, um, uh-huh. which we've seen that with Bigfoots. And he also also specifically mentions their ability to climb like sheer cliffs with ease, which yeah, here you go we again. see that with their uh, with our own hairy man here in North America. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's all the same, Kev, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure the uh, the uh, Yowie wasn't caught in the fire. They smelt it and just started getting yeah, they out took of off. there. They took yeah, off. they just that, that's what he's saying. Yeah, it's and like he the, talks about get this. He says, Mr. Harrison. Well, Mr. Harrison, right? He claims that there are usually ten sightings of Yowies each week along this area of Australia that they generally call the Gold Coast, but now there are none since the fires. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So I think, you know, that's evidence in itself, Bill. When you have a lot of sightings on a regular basis and then all of a sudden you have none after the big fires. But it's hard to think that it's just scared away the hoaxers, you know. Yeah. Well, no, It what it tells me is that these 10 calls were legitimate. Yeah. And since there are no sightings now, there are no legitimate sightings uh, being reported. These people weren't calling in just to give you a number and get a giggle. Yeah, uh, they were probably legit sightings calling in this Yowie hotline or whatever he's got. And now there are none because there are no Yowies around. Yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. <clears throat> and, and to me, it lends credence to the legitimacy of what's being seen. Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. So you know, really, who would dedicate twenty years of their life to nothing? Exactly. It's kind of, I mean, that's like dumber than dumb. (laughs) You know, know, it's just sea turtles, dolphins, whales, uh, grizzly bears, Bigfoot. You know, it's it's an endeavor that one gets involved in, sinks their teeth in, and just keeps grinding it out. Uh, And these people, obviously, this Yowie Foundation, whatever they got going on over there, uh, he takes note of the fact that now I have no reports. Yep. So really, that is very interesting. Yeah, super we're, cool, super cool. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So we're going to transition a little bit just to talk a little bit more about Yowie, because I love Yowie. And um, um, there was a good article um, uh, on uh, uh, published on ABC on their website in Australia um, back in November of eighteen. Uh, about the city of, I think I'm pronouncing it correctly, Woodenbong, uh, which is in that same area of uh, New South Wales, uh, uh, near the coast in uh, Australia, um, southeastern Australia. And this was written by a woman named Samantha Turnbell, and she was talking to a gentleman uh, named uh, Tony Healy. And Tony is a cryptozoologist and author of uh, several books, including The Yowie in Search of Australia's Bigfoot. So she spent a little bit of time uh, interviewing Tony, and Tony is talking about this city, Woodenbong, as uh, a picturesque mountain surroundings 
and it has a strong Aboriginal uh, community. And Aborigines, of course, are the native people of Australia. Mm -hmm. And this city is kind of unofficially known as the capital of Yowie country in Australia. Now, Kev, this is pre-fire. Yeah, this is this is pre-fire. So just there's a lot of facts in here about the different sightings of Yowie time. Okay. So I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, no, go yeah, ahead. Because we, we've only touched on Yowies in the past, but haven't really done a lot of detail. And we've gotten a lot of listener mail in over uh, the last two seasons on Yowie as well. Yeah, and I wonder what these poor Aboriginal people have done since they got burned out. Yeah, well, they're they're moving on. As, I mean, everybody got burned out. Not only not only the Aboriginal, but the uh, you know the settle, people had settled in suburban Sydney, and that got burned out as well. Yeah, just horrible. Yeah, I have friends that lost their houses there. You know, I mean, it's terrifying. Unbelievable. It's horrible. Horrible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Go ahead. So what do you? Got? So, you know, they write that there's many testimonies given, uh, especially to the explorers and the missionaries, as they moved into Australia in the early 1800s. So the Aboriginal tribes people uh, would talk about these hairy men, which at the time they knew by many different names. So they would call them all different names, but they would basically describe them as these creatures with long hair all over their body but uh, hairless, human-like faces. And the hair is generally described as kind of reddish-brown as well, and like between six and eight feet tall. There you go. Sounds like these people have, like these people have nothing else to talk about, so they bring up, uh, you know, of all things, a giant hairy creature covered in reddish-brown hair. Yep. It's just that, you know, it's freaking unbelievable that people keep arguing the point that it doesn't exist. Yep. You know, yeah, we'll talk about a couple uh, of these sightings, you know. So one of them uh, it was in 1928 in this same region at a place called Palin Creek. So going back almost 100 years. Um, and this gentleman named Bob Mitchell, it's his account. He said that he and his mate were riding through that area at about 10 a.m., so broad daylight, when they saw a Yowie, he said, we saw a Yowie standing in a clearing not far from us. In that light, there was no mistaking it. It was about seven feet tall with a black human like face and a gorilla body covered in thick brownish hair. It showed no wow. aggression, just looked at us for a moment, then turned and disappeared into the bush. He says it had really big feet. And could move really fast. Wow. Yeah. Well, there you go. Broad daylight sighting out in the middle of a field. Hey, what's that? I think it's a turtle. <laughs> no, it's not a turtle, dummy. It's Yowie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Here's another one in more modern day. In the 1970s, there were two sightings in the same area. Uh, a resident named Thelma said that she saw two of the creatures in her Richmond Street yard in 1976. Her story was reported in the local Northern Star newspaper there. She writes, I didn't turn on the kitchen light straight away because it was such a moonlit night. I stood at the open window looking at the view. This creature walked onto our lawn from the next door vacant lot and stood there for two or three minutes looking toward me. 
He was sort of flexing his arms in a circular movement in front of his face. The creature then moved from the side towards the bedroom where my husband was sleeping. There was another creature of exactly the same height and appearance standing under the bedroom window. They were about five feet tall, so a lot smaller, but covered in tan-colored hair. Their heads seemed to be sunk low into their shoulders. I couldn't see the facial features properly. They had a shuffling kind of walk. I was much too close to mistake it as anything other than a yaoi. Hmm. You know, here we go with the different fur colorations, yep. Kev. No doubt about like it. You're talking about the, the grizzlies being black, blonde, red. Uh, and here we have yaoi's dark brown, reddish colors. And here we have, uh, how did you describe it? Not blonde, but tan. Yeah. And get this. So this ties into your a little bit of your uh, story with security guard and certainly other accounts we've heard about over time. So this woman, Mrs. Crew, she said that she hadn't told anybody about her encounter until after she read Mrs. Maloney's story again in the Northern Star in 1977. So we're going to talk about Mrs. Maloney's story. And I'll put a copy of this article up on the website. And one story sparked the other one to That's speak. That's what I mean. Exactly. Yeah, it's we excellent. Hear that all the it's time, excellent. Right. Yep. So this one, 1977, again in the Northern Star newspaper, newspaper there in Australia, Mrs. Maloney told the newspaper that her Australian terrier had been attacked by a yowie. She said she was woken by her dog barking and ran to the backyard. I suddenly saw the creature directly in front of me. I was within six feet of the jolly thing, and I think I stopped breathing for a moment because of fright. It was wow. sitting on its haunches and had the dog completely crushed against its chest. It was as if it was uh. trying to crush the life out of our little dog. Yeah. Wow. The creature stood up, looked straight at me, and dropped the dog, which I thought was dead. Mrs. Maloney described the Yowie as more than six feet tall, with an almost hairless face, ape-like, with a heavy brow, no chin or neck, and ginger-colored hair hanging from its arms and legs. She wow. also said that the Yowie was clearly a male, because she could see wow. its genitals. So wow. I don't think it was a bear, you know, like she, you know, like she's she's. Picking out what it is. Just incredible. And and look, going for the dog, right? Yeah. People always talk about, I shouldn't say always, but people have talked about missing animals, cats, dogs. Uh, and it's funny you mention that, as you'll see when I get to my Bigfoot story. <laughs> uh, it's incredible, the synchronicity when we get together. Like, you don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> but when you hear what I'm doing tonight, you're going to be like, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Very yep. cool. Wow. Did the yeah. dog live, did she say? No, it, it was alive after it left, but then it um, it uh, uh, died of internal injuries. Wow, so this thing just grabbed it just and smashing it, it, it crushing it. Monster. Monster. I mean, what a, way, what a way to kill, right? Just like brute force smash you. You know, they don't have to bite you. They, they, they just grab you and crush you like a, a, a soda can in their hand. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, we, we hear about the deer, right, with the neck twisted around backwards, the leg torn off, uh, limbs just snapped in half like they're twigs. Uh, how about the, the nest building again, Kev, right, with those six- and eight-inch diameter fresh branches just snapped off? Yeah. Incredible power these things have. Yeah. Wow. So I got one more for you. Yeah. So this is uh, about a guy named David Taylor, or Mr. Taylor. And uh, he's covered in this same article. And um, he talks about the fact that up until 2010, uh, he was uh, a day trader, you know, so like a stock guy. And he was a t- he says he was a typical Yowie skeptic, doubting the existence of the Australian uh, hairy beast. But he said he and his ex-partner at the time set out to explore the remains of an old tunnel that housed a train line that formerly ran through Delarca National Park in Lansborough. This is on the Sunshine Coast, so just north of Sydney there, but same general area. Um, he talks about the fact that, you know, they came to a fork in the road and they didn't know which way to go. They went to the right and uh, they're walking up a hill about halfway up the track and bang, he writes, there it was right in front of them. He said, Mr. Taylor looked at it, he saw it clearly, and he took three steps before the whole siding was over. He said the first step, it was almost in the middle of the road. The second step, it was in the edge of the bush. And then in the third step, it was completely gone. Totally vanished, couldn't see anything, he said. Wow. He says, I started stuttering. And I had goosebumps all over me, and the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. And yeah, get this, too. He says, nothing makes you feel more alive than hearing it growl at you. Oh. It's, it's that loud, and it rattles every bone in your body. Where have we heard that before? Exactly. Wow. And he says, just the way it walked, you could see the human uh, characteristics in it. But it wasn't covered in clothes. It was completely covered in hair. Wow. And he said Mr. Taylor had turned completely white, and he and his ex-partner decided to get out of there. Yeah, good piece of thinking there. Yeah. No, let's go follow it. Yeah, so he went back two days later with um, um, the Australian Yowie Research Group, right, one of the research groups there, and uh, they found some fantastic Yowie footprints. And they have some great photos of them in, like, this sandy area. They're fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I'll put those up on our website as well, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Awesome, awesome. You really know, cool. So we'll, ha- we'll have to stay on that uh, uh, burned-out area going into the future. And yeah. uh, this man who's an investigator there and see what happens over time. Uh, if he starts to get a report here or there back in there as things grow back in, you know? Well, you know, I'm partial to the, yeah, we. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to keep be, an eye on it. It'd be interesting the way we're looking at this as them, uh, the sightings being legitimate because they are no more. And right. uh, in the same light, knowing that now is a piece of evidence, let's see what happens as things turn around, so to speak, you know? No doubt. Wow. Yeah, because those people aren't going to abandon that country. It's just burnt out right now. Yeah, and all you folks down there in Oz, 
Let us know what's going on with the Yowie. We need some more mail from you folks letting us know what you see. Yeah. And if you've seen something, say something. Don't wait for somebody else to say something. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, There's no doubt about it. We love to hear from everybody. And uh, no email is too short. Nothing you have to say is insignificant to us. Well, now, that was excellent, Kev. And so here we go. Uh, This uh, evidential summary was brought to me by a guy named Bob Craig, a resident of New Jersey, right here in the tri-state area, Kev. So when people write in and say, where is Bigfoot? How about New Jersey? (laughs) And this is what Bob had to say. My wife and I are both born and bred New Jerseyans, having lived here our entire lives. Married for over 25 years, we had purchased a new home and moved to an area close to the New Jersey Pinelands National Reserve, which is a protected area within the state. There are quite a few homes in our community, and it would be considered by most to be somewhat upscale in nature. I don't make mention of my town because I would rather not bring any ill will against our community or our residents for what had occurred. The evidence which I had initially told you about was seen in 2001, in the late spring of that year. However, looking back, I believe the story actually had begun several years earlier. The houses in my neighborhood each have a fairly large plot of property. Now, I'm not talking about a farm, but let's just say an acre or better for the most part. I can remember seeing that someone had posted to a telephone pole a picture and a name of their missing dog in what I believe was 2000 and... Oh, this is actually incorrect. In what I believe was 1998. It was a small pedigree, which I think was a Shih Tzu. Now, there's nothing particularly unusual about that in any community. Dogs do get lost and run away, and we are well aware of that. I don't think it was but a few months later that someone else had posted the same kind of notice on the polls in our area about their dog now being missing. This dog was also a smaller pedigree that I believe was some type of cocker spaniel. Our neighborhood is definitely upscale. So as the list of missing dogs grew, they were typically those that were smaller in size and pedigree. By the way, the grooming trucks are a regular visitor to the homes in the area. I only say that to paint a vivid picture in uh, for you as to the number and types of dogs of which I speak. It was over a period of about two years that the amount of missing dogs had gotten to the point where the local news was actually saying during the broadcast that another dog had come up missing in such and such community. 
It was now a common line of thinking that dog thieves were at work in our township. But in spite of everyone's diligence to walk their dogs on a leash and try not to leave them out alone, we all know that that is not always possible during our busy lives, especially during inclement weather to walk your dog. Sometimes we are left with the, other, the old clothesline tied to a tree in the backyard. In spite of all this apparent dog thievery going on, my wife and I actually had our own hearts set on getting a dog, and we did. We purchased a Belgian Shepherd from a breeder in Connecticut. We had set up a line for him in the backyard, which consisted of a large auger-type screw that was turned down into the ground some three feet to which was attached about 25 feet of welded link chain. Our dog, who we named Lucky, wore a stainless steel choker collar, and we would hook him to the chain with a brass snap clip. Believe me when I tell you, there was no way that Lucky could break away from this tether without his head coming off first. I would only put Lucky on this tether when it was virtually impossible due to weather or time to walk him myself. Now, because of our proximity to the reserve, there was more than an ample supply of wildlife around our home. I'm talking about deer, raccoons, woodchucks, rabbits, squirrels, chipmunks, and damn near anything else you can think of. And all of them would cause Lucky to go into a uproar when he saw them. He would bark and howl and even stand on his hind legs when yapping at these critters. Over time, he learned that he had a choker around his neck that he was attached to and a limited length of chain. So, over the next months, I have to say to you, that I get kind of immune to the dog's barking. There were so many animals around, and the deer would occasionally taunt him, now knowing that he couldn't chase them. They would stay a 100 feet away in the woods, eating and walking around, which drove Lucky crazy. In late April of 2001, we had been getting rain for some three days or so. We all know the feeling of when is it going to end when these types of rains come. So I would keep the snap end of the chain by the back door, which enabled me to just open the door and hook him to his tether, allowing him to take care of business for 15 minutes in the rain, after which he would always scratch the back door to let you know he was done. He had started out with his usual ritual barking, after which he would begin sniffing around and then relieve himself. I have to admit that on that night, I kind of lost track of the time, being involved in something on the computer upstairs in the house. When I looked at the clock, a half hour had gone by and it was pouring outside. I shouted down the stairs to my wife, asking her if she let the dog in. She said, no, 
I thought he was upstairs with you. So I went down and opened the door, and his chain was laying in the grass. He was gone. As you would well expect, I was outside, calling him over and over again as the rain was coming down in buckets. My wife was now by the back door after realizing what had happened. At some point, I looked down and saw that the snap, this brass snap, was detached from the chain and gone. Now, this was a solid brass swivel ring attached to the clasp, which I am sure that you yourself have seen before, Bill. There was no way that you or I could break it or tear it away from the welded chain. Why, you would have a better chance of backing the galvanized screw out of the ground than breaking this thing off. I immediately thought of all the supposedly stolen dogs in the area. But in my mind, I had said that all a thief would have had to do is to unsnap him from the collar. This chain had been broken off which could more than likely only be done with bolt cutters. As I was standing there in the rain, I looked down on the ground. Even though our backyard was grass, there was quite a bit of well-worn area right down to the soil where Lucky had been running around through the many months on this tether. As I stood there looking, I saw two huge footprints in the soaked soil. They looked like giant human footprints, maybe two feet long and very wide. The rain was coming down so hard that they were actually deteriorating before my eyes. Lucky was a very obedient, was very obedient, and no matter what, he would have come to my call, especially when he was out in snotty conditions. I called the police, and when they arrived at our home, I told them what had happened and what I had seen in regards to the massive footprints. I was told by the cop the usual rubbish about a black bear having taken the dog. I said to him somewhat sarcastically, Yeah, a black bear with 24-inch feet. We never saw Lucky again, and still to this day, cats and dogs go missing in the area. Mm -hmm. Whoa. What do you think of that, Kevin? Yeah, you know, the small dogs... I mean, everything, everything and anything can snatch them, right? You know. A hawk. Even a oh, hawk yeah. can grab hawk, a little. eagle, you know, whatever. But um, fox, you know. But the big dogs, like those uh, Belgian shepherds, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, those are like some of the dogs that the military uses, you know. Yeah, there's no doubt yeah. about it. And, um, the, you know. 
they can, one, defend themselves and that, you know. Ugh. And I think if the dog had a chance, he would have heard that thing snapping and growling at this thing if it had a chance. If it had a chance, right. I got a feeling this thing came up on him in the pouring rain with the sound being muffled. Yep. You know what a driving rain sounds like. Oh, yeah, and we also know that the uh, hairy man is pretty stealthy. Absolutely. And the fact that this guy emphasized the way this tether was set up in his yard, he had an auger going down into the ground as the anchor. He had some type of welded link, link chain on it. I'm not saying it was like giant boat anchor chain, but he emphasized that it was a welded link chain, not a rope. Yep. And then the brass link snap, mm-hmm. which he said if it was a thief, he would have just had to unsnap yeah, it. Just unsnap it. It was busted off the chain. Yeah. So, I mean, and then the footprints. Yeah. And, of course, here we go back to, uh, I think a bear probably got your dog. Yeah, a bear with 24-inch feet, and, may I add, a bear that can detach a dog from a snap clip. (laughs) And the dog instinctively knows what a bear is. He's going to be making a racket, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, a a shepherd? Any dog would be snapping and biting for its life. Yeah, no doubt. They're not just going to go down. They're going to go down with a fight. Yeah. Uh, even if they lose, you know. Absolutely. Wow. So there you have That's it. That's a good that one. A- in Jersey. Maybe it was a yeah. Jersey Devil. Yeah, well, I don't know, man. Yeah. But, folks, you know, uh, a lot of these stories and hundreds of others are in my book. So if you're interested in hearing more or reading more or the audio books, go out and take advantage of them. They're really excellent. So there you have it, no Kim. What doubt, do we got great from account, a- Bill. Great account yeah. from the Jersey. What they say it was? The Pine Barrens of New Jersey? or uh, The Pineland, New Pine Jersey Lands. Pinelands okay. National Reserve. Oh. So that must be some big sheltered wilderness. Like I have the Pine Barrens here, Kev. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I think that's uh, no, over in Jersey Devil territory. Yeah, no doubt about it. There's, yeah. The Jersey Devil's over there. The Bigfoot's over there. Uh, there are a lot of sightings in New Jersey. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so when people say, uh, you know, again, where is Bigfoot? Right here, pal. You could say the Pacific <laughs> Northwest, the uh, uh, Atlantic Northeast. <laughs> I mean... Florida, yeah. Louisiana, Arkansas, Carolinas, blah, 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 blah. Yep. No so, doubt about it. All right. We got some great listener mail, Bill. Okay. Let's we have it. We start off with TJ, who is in Spain, but he says, I was born in Liverpool. Wow. Yeah. Let's hear cool. your uh, Paul and John Liverpoolian accent. Well, as far as TJ is concerned, I've never heard of the bloke. <laughs> but if he but if he thinks he's going to join the band, he's got another thing coming. <laughs> Ringo, the best drummer. He's not even <laughs> the best drummer in the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, TJ writes that he's born in Liverpool, as I mentioned, currently stranded in eastern Spain. 
He says, right. I stopped counting the days of lockdown after 100. Great. Yeah, terrible, right? Ugh. Uh, anyway, I found this podcast only recently. I'm making my way through the impressive back catalog. Great stuff and a great distraction from crazy times. He writes, yeah. well done, young Kevin. Ooh, young <laughs> Kevin. And well done, Wild Bill. <laughs> Kev, you know, I have to say this. Some people are out to antagonize you. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> I, I'm fine being called young Kevin. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. But these guys with the books, the autograph book and all this stuff. Oh, I know. I mean, no, no, no. We get a lot of mail, as you know. That <laughs> they, they write only to you, and then in the end they say <laughs> something funny. <clears throat> it's all good. It's all good. Don't worry. I always carry more gun than I think I'll need. <laughs> yeah, and TJ, by the way, I'm a big Barcelona soccer fan. There you go. Uh, they started playing again, <clears throat> and uh, I don't know if you've seen any of that, Kev, or if you watch it. They have virtual fans in the stadium. Yeah, I know, I know. And, uh, you know, I'm enjoying it. I get it. We all get it. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm glad the boys are out there playing, and I'm glad to watch them. Uh, and this is a tough time. It's weird. Well, I you know? think it's great. I mean, you know, you know, Bill, I'm a F1 fan, as you are, Formula yep. One. We enjoyed the last two races in uh, Austria. Yep. And then I don't know if you watched any of the NASCAR. I mean, I know I live in North Carolina, but I'm not a big NASCAR fan. Um, but I've been watching it, you know, because, I mean, right now, come on, man. We got no baseball. We got no hockey. Like, give me the NASCAR. And it's very strange. Like, in the race last weekend... And uh, I think it was in Indy, if I'm not mistaken. They and it wasn't the Brickyard. It was I, f I forget where it was. Anyway, the race last week, they um, when the winner won, it was a rookie driver, and you know he comes over and he's donuts, you know, in front of where the fans all would be. He jumps out, jumps on the roof of the car. And, you know, they're not even piping in the sound. There's nobody there, you know. And then yeah. the, the cameraman comes over and the sound man comes over and they all have like the the, the microphone is on like a 12-foot boom. You yeah. know, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's good. Again, I'm glad they're racing. I'm yeah. certainly glad that they're being safe, but it is kind of foreign. You know? Yeah, it's very weird, very surreal. And the drivers note it. You know, you got to give them credit here. He's a rookie driver, wins a big NASCAR race, and uh, he's so excited. But then, like, he's looking around in the stands where there's usually a quarter of a million people, right? Right, right, At a right. NASCAR race, and there's no one there. It's like yeah, it's kind of weird, right? Like the kid's graduating, but there's no real ceremony. Oh, my son. No yeah. graduation. Yeah, very None. weird. No, no even word of a graduation yet. Like, yeah, very yeah. sad. Yeah, they'll get around to it. I know. So I know. let's move on. You got it. All and, right, we're going to Mark in Minnesota. Uh -huh. And the subject, always carry more gun than you think you will need. <laughs> <laughs> love it. I love it, I say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says, dear WJ and bro KJ. I have been listening to you guys for about two weeks now, and I think you're you, I think you're the best. I wanted to give you all a good chuckle. I listen while I'm reloading ammo for my rifles and pistols. Yeah, that I target shoot with. <laughs> Don't worry, Mark. We won't ask what your targets are. 
<laughs> I love it, I tell you. He said, you made me laugh when you said always carry more gun than you think you will need. Very good advice. He says, I retired from the Army after a career in the infantry. So, yes, as you say, WJ, carry more gun than you think you will need and maybe a few hand grenades. <laughs> <laughs> I think that will keep the boogers away. Yeah, Kevin, uh, check the email because I think I contacted Mark and asked him what kind of weapons he you owns. You did. I'm going to go there. I, I yeah, got it right here. So he say, anyway, brothers, keep up the podcast, and I will keep listening and reloading and laughing here in <laughs> Minnesota. Sincerely, Mark. And first off, Mark, retired military guy, thank you so much for your service, for uh, helping to keep us safe and help keep us free as well. So thank you. Excellent. And then, as you said, Bill, you dropped him a note back uh, asking him, hey, what do you carry? Do you, I mean, this is fantastic, folks. <laughs> he says, I carry my best for protection while in the woods. And that's what I call my big iron, my <laughs> Desert Eagle 50 Action Express. Nice. I mean, a 50 cal Desert <laughs> Eagle. Holy cow. I also have a conversion complete upper to 44 Magnum. Uh, guys, it was guys. a retirement gift from my twin daughters. <laughs> but my everyday piece is a 45. Nice. Yeah, he's got a 45 1911, you know, the yeah. old uh, World War II sidearm. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, you know, he's going to knock something down with what he's carrying. I mean, kind of like that story I told about my friend in Texas when he got pulled over by the trooper and he had to declare all the <laughs> firearms he had in the car. And the trooper said, hey, what are you afraid of? He's like, absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I love this stuff, man. I really yeah, do. That's good. Good oh stuff. Oh, my good God. Stuff. Oh, my God. All right. And we got another note in here or a note in here from Rick. Rick doesn't say where he is, um, but the subject is about the Dyatlov Pass incident. And, you know, we love that Dyatlov Pass incident and all the mystery about it over in Russia. And he writes, WJ and Kevin thought you might like this Dyatlov Pass incident update. Russia issued a new explanation. Sorry, a new explanation. Families rejected it. Keep up the great work. Rick. And Rick, you know, Rick put a link in and it says, uh, new twist in the Soviet mountain mystery as families of nine dead hikers reject the official explanation. Yeah. And the official explanation is that they froze to death. Yeah, hypothermia, actually. Yeah, hypothermia. You know, and, like, and yeah, the hypothermia, eyes dug out, tongue removed. Yeah. You know, broken ribcage, chest injuries, naked, yeah. you know, a few hundred meters away from your tent in the snow. Come right. on. Yeah, come on. I mean, yeah. It's just, it's just it, it doesn't make sense to anybody, but it doesn't stop them from posting it. No, I know. Like that's you could you could just put out whatever dumb news you want to put and just say, well, that's what we're, we're dealing out today. Let them live yeah, with it. It says Russia. Russia claimed on Saturday to have put the matter to bed after a new investigation found that the hikers had frozen to death following an avalanche. Yeah. And did you <laughs> see the hill over there that they were yeah. on? Yeah. Avalanche from where? I know. 
know. You know what I mean? It, it, Kev, it'd be like us having an avalanche on Bald Hill. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, the, the countryside there didn't lend itself to an avalanche. Hey, listen, Bill, this is a little bit like the witches. We don't want to question the Russians too much. I okay? do. <laughs> that was WJ, okay, folks? <laughs> All right. All right. Our last but not least Mm -hmm. letter that we'll cover this week is from Duel in Scotland. I love that name, Duel. I know. I want to be named Duel. (laughs) The subject of Duel's note is the big chap is real. Yeah. Says, dear Bill and Kev, hope this finds you well. Really enjoy your podcast here in Scotland. Your Cascade report really nailed it for me. Why make up something like that? Why would all the people who come forward make up stories? It has to be out there in the woods and in the swamps. Best wishes and always carry more gun than you think you'll need. <laughs> and then uh, Duel also writes about he... That you can't carry, I guess, in Scotland. Yeah. Of course, you know, they'll just beat you with a rock in Scotland. <laughs> you don't have to carry. Tough, tough people there. And uh, But he does talk about the inventory that he used to carry when he was in the South African Army. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, some serious lead-throwing parcels, <laughs> including an Uzi. He probably joined the South African Army for fun. Yeah, I had to chuck some lead. <laughs> There's a g- and then he ends it with kilts and scotch, scots wahey. <laughs> yeah. Duel. I read that and I was like, what? It, it must- I don't know, but you may have to end a podcast with kilts and scotch, scots wahey. Wahey. <laughs> you know- All right, so that's it this week, folks. Awesome uh, account, Bill. And we got back to the yeah. We, yeah, my favorite hairy man in the world. And then, uh, folks, you have been leaving us fantastic five star reviews, so thank you. And if you haven't, or if you feel the need to do it again, please, from your favorite podcast player right now, uh, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, whatever, open it up and give us five stars. And it's really important that you do. Because by you giving us five stars, you attract more listeners to our program. And by getting more listeners, we can improve the quality of our program. So thank you so much for those great five-star reviews. Yeah, and folks, the other day I stumbled on a YouTube video about a guy who was attacked and mauled twice by a grizzly sow within a period of about 15 minutes. I can't believe the guy survived. And it all started out with him waiting for the bear to get close enough where he pulled out his fire extinguisher of bear spray that didn't work. (laughs) So take my advice. If you're going out hiking in grizzly country, always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.